1: Imagine you are walking down the street in New York City. It is a nice, bright Saturday morning. The air is still cool, but comfortable. You walk past a park and see kids in the playground. Older folks sitting on benches continuing the never-ending argument about whatever from the day before. But then you hear a commotion by the basketball court. A crowd is gathering. Naturally, your curiosity gets the best of you, and you walk over to see what is happening. As you find your place, you see that it is just a regular pickup basketball game that might happen on any court, in any park, anywhere in the world. Then you realize that something is different about this game. You see a player race down the court. He gathers his dribble and then takes off like an airplane. He holds the ball high above his head in what seems like forever and then finally punches that thing through the rim like the rim had just said something bad about his mother. Then suddenly, it hits you like a bolt of lightning. That's Dr. J. You look down at the other end of the court and you realize, it's the Hawk, Connie Hawkins. The big picture finally dawns on you. You finally realize that this is the famous Rucker Tournament. And this is Basketball History 101.
0: This is Basketball History
1: 101 with Rick Loaiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Lawiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today we bring you the story of the Rucker Tournament. This is the first foray into playground basketball for us here. As you know, most of our stories come from the NBA. We have done a handful of episodes on international basketball and another handful on college or high school basketball stories. We've also done a number of episodes on the early history of the game and its development, including the very early pro leagues in the barnstorming era. But playground basketball is a vital part of the game's development, therefore we are pleased to bring you the story of the Rucker Tournament. It is the most prestigious playground tournament around. With all due respect to the Baker League in Philadelphia and the Drew League in Los Angeles, the Rucker is a tournament that inspired those other leagues. The Rucker is the oldest and most famous of the playground leagues. It was founded in 1950 in Harlem in New York City by a man named Holcomb Rucker. He was the playground director in Harlem for the New York City Parks and Recreation Department from 1948 until 1965. He was also a high school English teacher, and he believed strongly in giving back to his community and provided young people with opportunities to better themselves through sports and education. Holcomb Rucker was born in 1926 and was only 24 years old when he started the summer league that would bear his name. The idea was fairly simple. People in the community were free to form their own teams and then the teams would be entered into this summer tournament with a champion declared at the end. It quickly became bragging rights in the neighborhood as to who had the best team in Harlem. Very quickly, it became something that players looked forward to every summer. Spectators loved it too because they knew that each summer, they could come to the park and watch some really great basketball being played for free. However, what was even more important to Holcomb Rucker than the actual tournament was the education piece. The phrase that is attached to the tournament is, each one, teach one. The idea behind that phrase is that everyone who participates in the tournament, whether as a player or a volunteer, was also committed to giving back to the community and mentoring the next generation. They would talk to the kids about working hard in school. They would put on basketball clinics to teach the next generation the fundamentals of basketball. They would work to keep the kids out of trouble and on the right track. I think you get where I'm going with this. The entire Rucker operation was designed to lift up the community and give back to the neighborhood. Kids who received mentoring were expected to mentor the next generation when they grew up. Holcomb Rucker and the other organizers would try to get the kids scholarships into private high schools or colleges. They worked tirelessly to provide opportunities that the kids may not be able to find on their own. They were constantly inviting coaches to come down and watch the games in order to scout a particular player who demonstrated a special talent. The effort proved successful. Lots of these kids were earning scholarships and getting educations because of the people running the tournament. As the calendar turned to the 1960s, the tournament began to really take off. At that point, the tournament was prestigious enough that players were coming from all over New York, not just Harlem. Some players were even coming from other states to spend part of their summers in Harlem competing in the tournament. The overall talent was getting better and better, and the competition more fierce. By the 1960s, the tournament started to see NBA players participating in this tournament alongside amateur players. As a fan, you could come out to the park in the summer to see Will Chamberlain, Connie Hawkins, Lew Alcindor, later known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You also had Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, and Earl Monroe. But the most famous player in Rucker history was probably Dr. J, Julia Serving. These guys were not just NBA players, but Hall of Famers, some of the greatest to ever lace them up. They would play alongside local streetball legends like Earl the Goat Manigault, Richard Wee Kirkland. Joe the Destroyer Hammond, Herman the Helicopter Nolings, James Fly Williams, and Jumpin' Jackie Johnson, who later played for the Globetrotters. By the way, Earl the Goat Manigault is the subject of episode 25 if you want to go all the way back and check that out. Now I am not exaggerating when I say that some of these local legends were just as good as the NBA players, but for one reason or another they never played in the NBA. For some of them, just knowing that they could excel against NBA talent was enough. Fans used to climb trees for a better view. Some would sit on the roof of the school right behind the park to be able to see the action on the court. People were climbing fences just to see their favorite players. It was an amazing scene. The whole tournament was a great idea that was started by the right man, in the right place, at the right time. Sadly, Holcomb Rucker passed away from cancer in 1965 at the young age of 39. What would happen to the Rucker Tournament without its founder? Well, this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the answer to that question.
0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
2: Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sports R O W number one for access to the full row one catalog. And for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the row one Pictorum gallery with coupon code S H N 15. Follow the link on the show notes. Hi, everybody. Dan and Andrew from Hello Old Sports here. We wanted to drop in and let you know about our latest episode. That's right. We interviewed the co authors of Phyllis George, Shattering the Ceiling, a biography of groundbreaking broadcaster Phyllis George. And her life is really sort of a journey through 20th century America, from Miss America pageants to the Kentucky State House to the groundbreaking NFL Today show on CBS, even the Kentucky Colonels, the old ABA. We got into all sorts of stories about the Celtics under Red Auerbach, about the interview with Roger Staubach, about really all sorts of things, a fight between Brent Musburger and Jimmy the Greek. We really enjoyed talking with Lenny Shulman and Paul Volpone, who teamed up to write this book. The book is on sale right now wherever books are sold you know, within reason, garage sales, probably not. So go ahead and pick up a copy today. And if you want a chance to win the book, you can go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways and register for a chance to win. Goodbye, old sports.
1: Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of the Rucker Tournament. As I mentioned before the break, Holcomb Rucker passed away in 1965 and the future of the tournament was in jeopardy. Thankfully, two of his lead volunteers, Bob McCullough and Freddie Crawford, along with a lot of help from a lot of other volunteers, took charge and kept the Rucker Tournament going. Along with the participation of Hall of Fame NBA players, the tournament continued to grow in size and popularity. I mean, imagine being a local resident of Harlem getting up early to walk over to the local playground to get a good seat for free in order to watch watch Will Chamberlain and Dr. J play basketball. As a basketball historian, that would be a dream for me. If I had a time machine, one of the first places that I would go to would be the Rucker Tournaments of the late 1960s. The success of the Rucker Tournament inspired Sunny Hill to start a similar operation in Philadelphia called the Baker League. On occasion, the best teams from the Baker League would travel up to New York to play in the Rucker. The same is true of the Chicago League. They would typically send their best team to New York to take on the New York teams. I mean, this is how big the tournament was. Some teams would have to travel from a long distance to get there. As the tournament moved into the 1970s, it took a bit of a downturn. There were several reasons for this. The primary reason was that the money in the NBA was getting better and better, and the Rucker tournament was an extremely physical brand of basketball. The general philosophy that guided the referees was, no blood, no foul. Many of the NBA players realized that they could potentially get injured playing in the Rucker, and there was just too much money on the line from their NBA salary to risk. Contracts were not always guaranteed in the NBA, so it made no sense from a financial perspective to take chances with that amazing salary. There were a few NBA players that lost out on NBA money because of injuries incurred at the Rucker. Now That scared off most everyone else in the NBA. The other thing was the ABA. This alternative pro league with the red, white, and blue basketball was signing street legends to contracts. Many of the best street players from the 1970s, like Fly Williams, were now in the ABA, and they would not always participate in the Rucker during the summer. But things bounced back in the 1980s. The Entertainer's Basketball Classic, or EBC, came into existence and partnered with the Rucker to step up the tournament experience for the fans and the players. They began to bring in DJs and rappers to entertain the crowd during pregame and halftimes. I mean, we are talking about early hip hop legends like DJ Cool Herc and Grandmaster Flash. The whole entertainment factor took a huge step forward. Dancers and step teams would also entertain the spectators during breaks. The entire event became a show. And another thing that helped in the early 1980s was this brand new sports cable channel that was in desperate need of content to put on their network. ESPN broadcast the Rucker tournament in the early 1980s. So this tournament that previously had to be witnessed in person could now be seen by people in Missoula, Montana and Albuquerque, New Mexico. The entire nation could now watch this tournament. The Rucker was back and better than ever. In the 1990s, the whole concept of playground basketball took another huge step with a little known shoe company called And One. They had a show on MTV called the And One Mixtape Tour. They were a traveling playground competition that would travel around the country to bring together the best talent that each city had to offer. The local talent would play against the and-one team, and the original and-one team consisted of guys like Main Event Dixon, Spida, and Half-Man Half-Amazing Hayward. Later they would add the younger brother of NBA player Mark Jackson. His brother Troy Jackson was best known by his street name, Escalade. They also added Philip Champion, better known as Hot Sauce, and Grayson Boucher, AKA The Professor. The AND1 team and their show raised the profile of playground basketball everywhere. Playground basketball had to be taken seriously. There were some amazingly talented street players everywhere, but for one reason or another, these players found themselves outside of the traditional development system in the United States, which consists of high school, AAU, and college basketball. But many of these players were no less talented and they were finally given a chance to show their skills and make a name and career for themselves. The player known as the Professor is now 38 years old and makes his career as a YouTuber, creating videos, merchandise, and other content where he still takes on players on playground courts in one-on-one challenges. He has even worked with NBA players to train them in certain dribbling techniques. If it wasn't for the and one tour, he would probably still be back in Oregon doing who knows what for a living. But as I said, all of this raised the profile of the Rucker as the premier playground tournament. In the 1990s, you began to see NBA players participating again. and a big reason that NBA players returned to the record was because of a clause in NBA contracts that Michael Jordan created. It is known as the Love of the Game Clause. Prior to this clause, the NBA only covered medical bills for injuries incurred while participating in NBA activities. In other words, if a player got injured playing street ball, then they were on their own to pay for those medical bills. But Michael Jordan, when he was at his peak, negotiated for the Love of the Game Clause with the Chicago Bulls that allowed Jordan to play basketball anytime and anywhere, and the Bulls would still cover any medical bills from injuries suffered. And once he got that in his contract, other superstar players began negotiating for it too. Now these players were free to play in the Rucker again without fear of having to pay for medical bills on their own. You had NBA players like Rafer Alston, better known by his street name of Skip to My Lou, Stephon Marbury played in the Rucker. So did Vince Carter, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Ron Artest, Allen Iverson, and the late great Kobe Bryant. When Kevin Durant played, he wanted to show off his shooting skills while also keeping himself safe from injury. He torched the other team for 66 points, all of them on three-pointers. He was pulling up from just inside half-court and letting it fly. Nobody could do anything about it. He was just too tall and his release point too high for any amateur defender to even bother Durant. tournament is still as strong as ever. It got another boost in 2018 with the release of the movie Uncle Drew, which featured Kyrie Irving in the title role, along with other basketball legends like Shaquille O'Neal, Reggie Miller, Chris Webber, Nate Robinson, and Lisa Leslie. The basic premise of that story was that all of these players together were the best streetball team of the 1970s, and now they were all retired and were coming together, gray hair and all, to try to win the Rucker one more time. There was more to the story than that, but that film brought major attention to the Rucker Tournament. From a historical perspective, let me say this. Playground basketball is as much about style and showmanship as it is about playing good basketball and winning games. Making the right pass and taking the right shot is important at any level of basketball, but if you can do it with some flair, so much the better. Substance and style is how players make their reputation. Dr. J was a perfect example of that. Why lay it up when you could windmill jam that thing? The streetball style had a direct impact on the style of the ABA because so many streetball players signed contracts with the ABA. And then the ABA style had a direct impact on the NBA when the two leagues merged together. Much of the style and the flair that we see today in the NBA and all over the world now has its roots in street basketball. The kind of basketball that is played at the Rucker and other leagues of this type. This is the impact of streetball. I wanted to take an episode to acknowledge that and bring attention to the impact of streetball on the overall development of the game. After all, basketball is entertainment. When the NBA is trying to sell tickets or get fans to watch their games, they know that they are in competition with hockey, football, and baseball, but also with movie theaters, the Broadway show, the bowling alley, the nightclub, or the house party. For their TV broadcast, the NBA is in competition with every other channel on TV and every streaming service available. They have to provide something that is more entertaining than a million other options. The style and showmanship of the NBA came from streetball, and I want to make sure that streetball gets its due in how it impacted the game. In case you've ever wanted to visit this particular court at the Rucker, you can find it in Harlem at 155th Street and Frederick Douglass Boulevard. The park was renamed for Holcomb Rucker after he passed away, but it is the birthplace of a new style of basketball that entertains to this day. So there you have it. That is the story of the Rucker Tournament. Join us next time when we share the story of the 1960 United States men's Olympic basketball team. The co captains of that team were Oscar Robertson and Jerry West. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to SportsHistoryNetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon.
0: Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network.